Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. On this week's podcast, we'll explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. On this week's show, we are talking with the president of one of the most successful sports franchises in the world, the New England Patriots, Jonathan Kraft. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. And joining us is Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Eben Novi Williams. Let's start. How about them Cowboys? Oh, my. They're the most valuable team in the world at $4.8 billion. Here's the thing that, that comes away from this for me. Four years ago, there was only one team in the world worth more than $2 billion. And this year, 27 of the NFL's 32 teams have hit that mark. The amount that these franchises are skyrocketing is staggering. What I take away from this, Michael, is the difference between one and two. There's such a wide gap. Normally, they're close. You know, somebody's on top by, what, $50 million, $100 million. Okay. This isn't even close. The, the Cowboys have generated a cash register, not only in their stadium, in their franchise, in their merchandise. They also built the Star, that other complex in Frisco. They have high school games there. It's unbelievable what Jerry Jones has created with that brand. I guess, according to Forbes magazine, why is it that Dallas has this mega franchise? You mentioned some of the the answers, but, I mean, it's got to be more than that. Uh, the well, difference between football teams, everybody shares the national revenue. That That's that. The difference is, one, international, and two, what do you do locally? And remember, Jerry sued the NFL years ago to keep right. more of his local money. So if you can generate more money locally which is not shared with the others, you are going to be more valuable. Yeah, and the, the brand of the Cowboys, that star, their America's team, that is so valuable. The fact that they can sell jerseys everywhere in the country, that's something that not every team can do. Remember, he built this huge scoreboard so everybody can see the Cowboys in the stadium. It was so huge, in fact, one, one kicker, I forgot who it was, kicked the ball to hit the scoreboard to say, see, that's too low, and Jerry Jones said, nah, forget that. Uh, I, people go to the stadium just to take tours. They charge a, a good nickel just to go around and see the stadium. People will go and watch Super Bowls outside on a big screen. This is more than just a team. This is a place people want to be. I mean, it really is unbelievable, and they're, they're right ahead of the Giants. So a New York team, $3.3 billion versus $4.8 for the Cowboys, 
That's a $1.5 billion spread over a team in the number one media market. They're doing something right. Also, one thing from further down on the list, uh, the Chargers barely got any boost from moving to L.A. The Rams got a nice little boost. The Chargers went from 2.08 to 2.2. That's not a very big jump for a team relocating from San Diego to the second biggest media market in L.A. You want to own the stadium, you want to be a tenant. Absolutely. Now we know why the Chargers, this was not plan A for Dean Spanos. And didn't the mayor of Los Angeles, didn't he say, hey, well, we really didn't want the team anyway? Well, now he's got two. And in the long run, again, people are looking at first week attendance at the soccer stadium you know where the chargers are playing let this play out it's not just a one week one year play let's also talk about another topic that is hot on bloomberg business of sports line judges in tennis do we really need them do we really need them uh, if i can see the us open replay i mean that i've been to the us open every year for the last i don't know how long i love when somebody challenges a call and if people are familiar with this, it goes on the big screen in the stadium. You see the ball coming toward the line and a millimeter in or out and, and the crowd gasps. It's the same question. Do we need umpires in baseball? And Tony Clark, the head of the union, said we do for that control the game factor. Eben, I, I don't know if we do in tennis. Yeah, I think this is that classic debate about how much automation is too much automation. Do we absolutely need line judges? Probably not. And there's certainly the technology has caught up to the fact that we can have a totally automatic, very, very accurate system. But I'm with Scott. There's a part of me that loves the idea of someone there making the call and the little bit of human error that gives a player the chance to reverse it. It creates a little bit of drama. I don't want umpires going away anytime soon calling balls and strikes, even though we have systems that can probably call them better than humans right now. Uh, I love the fo- the uh, puppy that runs out and gets the kickoff tee in some high school football <laughs> games. So that's I, not going I, away. No, that's not going away. I love that. You cannot be serious. I'm See thinking, what I did there? Yeah, See, uh, that was John Macaro. Nice. And let me explain more about this story. The men's tour announced that the next generation ATP finals, a season-ending event for top 21 and under players, will feature electronic line calling for all shots, and it's the first time this is being tried at an ATP tournament. This is why the NFL tried things when they had NFL Europe. This is why the NBA has the D-League. You try things, see if it works. Another topic, and this is big, especially in college sports. Learfield and IGM College, close to a merger deal that combines the industry's biggest players. IMG. IMG, Michael Barr. The two biggest players in the industry are joining forces. Eben, correct me if I'm wrong, but this brings under one umbrella, one negotiating tent, something like 200-plus schools. It's pretty seismic, yeah. 86% of the Power 5 schools, so almost all the schools that are great in college football and big in college basketball. This is going to fundamentally change the way that brands sponsor these schools, the way these schools make revenue, and also the way that their media rights are handled for the foreseeable future. I asked just like DraftKings and FanDuel, what about some regulatorium? This is this this is a gorilla. It's a great question. Uh, they can certainly cite the changing media landscape as a as a an opponent to this and and as a competitor. Um, and we'll see what happens. Our thanks to Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Eben Novi Williams. And now, since buying the New England Patriots in 1994, the Kraft family has led the team to five Super Bowls. Now we have all heard of Robert Kraft, who bought the team. But his son, Jonathan, is a key executive on the team. Yes, he is. He's the Pats president, overseeing the management and strategic planning of every department in the organization. 
Jonathan also serves on multiple NFL owner committees, including the digital committee. Jonathan, we're hearing a lot about the business of the NFL. Some good, some bad. How would you sum up right now? How is the business of the NFL? I think uh, the the business is um, is quite strong. I I think like everybody, um, the technological changes that are affecting all forms of entertainment products and the mediums by which they reach their ultimate audience. I think we're clearly uh, going through a transition there, but I think that everything in that space presents huge opportunity for us. And when you come back and you look at the, the teams and, and, you know, season ticket sales and sponsorship revenues going into the season and engagement at those levels uh, is all strong fantasy football um, participation in terms of at NFL.com and with the partners, we know the numbers for is up. So the engagement is there, and I think that as we continue to do things like on Thursday night with with Amazon Prime and continue to change our social media rules so that clubs can package their content, non, non-live game content, but other things, and really try to develop um, – Try to try to develop a complete understanding of how people, given the technological choices they have to interact with us, um, how they most like it and most want it. We're going to have to become more varied and dynamic over the long run in terms of how we let our fans access us, but the business as a whole is quite strong. Does that mean too much is made of the linear TV? I keep hearing, oh, the ratings are down, the ratings are down. Do you worry about the TV numbers? Well, I think you always worry about fan engagement, and everybody should be worried about whether our fans are engaged with us. And at the end of the day, we're still by far and away the number one rated um, product on television. It's not even close to anything else. So we're lucky that we're in a position of strength like that. At the same time, you, you we're not naive to the fact that the way our audience wants to consume our product and interact with our product is definitely changing and changing at a pace that's faster than it's been in the past. And it's incumbent upon us to make sure we're meeting their needs, um, which I believe I, I I believe we're working hard to try to make sure that we do, and that's the way that's the way I view that. You mentioned fantasy sports. By the way, I'd like to thank Tom Brady for helping me win in a week on a particular. You were just site. telling us how terrible your team is doing. Uh, well, now I'm talking about the the season league. Oh, okay. The, but the daily league that Tom Brady came through big time. But that's another story. Wow. <laughs> so, Michael, I'll make sure he knows that. I, I, most weekends. I usually hear from a couple dozen people telling me that, and I'll make sure that that uh, Tom knows that and that you send him a, a thank you. It was it was fun to it was fun to watch actually the the suite uh, that they put us in in New Orleans is in a corner of the end zone, which is actually a great view for sort of having the quarterback's perspective on the field, and we were up pretty high and. And uh, watching watching him on Sunday was really was really a lot of fun from that perspective. He was he was uh, he was having a he was having a very strong day. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I'm grateful. At fantasy sports has changed the entire complexion of the NFL. It, it, I've never seen anything revolutionize a sport like fantasy sports. 
No, I, I, I think that's true, and I, I think it it's helped to drive the interest in our teams, certainly, out of season. I mean, when free agency starts, people start to really pay attention, not only because you're interested in how your physical team is going to do the team you root for in your market, but you start to keep track of everything from a fantasy perspective. And I would tell you that a dozen years ago, I don't think anybody in August ever reached out to me for fantasy advice. And not that I'm an expert or have any more insight. A lot of them are a lot smarter than me. But I bet you I get a hundred requests from friends over the course of the month of August leading up to the opening week of the season for for fantasy engage you know, for help with their fantasy team engaging with them. And I think the way DraftKings and FanDuel uh pioneered daily fantasy took it to a different level because so many people were, I think, interested in the idea of being a part of fantasy, couldn't make the time commitment that daily fantasy and more products that I think are going to come be innovated by them and others now that people like Verizon have bought Yahoo. I think think you're going to see more and more uh, fantasy products come on the market to engage uh, our fans. And much like with how you consume our live games, the choices – and the options are going to get greater and greater, and that that only, you know, that's only a plus for our business because people can do what they want to do with a product that best fits their needs. We are chatting with New England Patriots President Jonathan Kraft, and Jonathan, you mentioned DraftKings. Fair to say that Kraft Sports Group is an investor in yeah, DraftKings. Absolutely. Are are you still well, sure. bullish on daily fantasy even after the merger was scrapped? Are you still bullish on what your company DraftKings is is able to accomplish? Well, I think well, we invested a long time ago, and so fortunately, we're we're happy with our investment. I think that putting the two companies together would have been the right thing for the market. You know, the government has spoken and, in their wisdom, determined that they shouldn't be together. But I think the product of daily fantasy is absolutely going to exist. I think the two of them coming together, rather than spending money beating each other up, you would have seen more and more invested in that innovation that I referred to, and I think really interesting content as well as innovation created around the games. Now I assume uh, more of that will be spent on the two of them competing with each other from a marketing perspective, and I think actually this is one case my perspective the consumer loses in that regard because the bigger the bigger the the more liquid the audience is for those games the better the games are and then the more money that can be spent on innovation rather than fighting each other the consumer wins but the government viewed it differently several years ago the Kraft family designed the revenue sharing plan during contract negotiations for the collective bargaining agreement can you elaborate more on that that was Michael. You're boy. You're dating yourself now because that goes back to 2006 when um, we uh, when we did our extension back then. One of the things that was holding it up within our room, Paul Tagliabu and Gene Upshaw, I think had had a reasonable meeting of the minds for what could work between the league and the union. But within the ownership room, there was a need then. To, to have an extra layer of revenue sharing so that the medium, the the sort of bottom half of the league clubs could feel like they would be able to compete 
under the construct that had been set up for calculating the salary cap. So we just we came up with some ideas that were part of the solution that that ended up working. But that that's actually once we did the deal in 2011 and the new TV deals were signed, so much of uh, the 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 percentage of equally shared revenues between all 32 teams had gone up so high that 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 formula for revenue sharing doesn't exist and really revenue sharing in general now it, supplemental revenue sharing has is really a byproduct of uh, the past and and I think as a league as as we continue to move forward. Uh, the equally shared revenues are going to continue to grow faster than than the unshared revenues. And that's good for the health of any league. And I think we're lucky at the National Football League that we're somewhere, I believe, around high 70s to 80%. And I think when that's the case, you, you as long as there is a salary cap, a hard salary cap like we have, and that that much revenue sharing of national revenues, you have a competitive situation, which is really based on each team's ability to spot talent, sign it up under the rules of the cap, and coach it. It's not based on how much money you have. And that means it's true competition, and true competition drives entertainment value, and we're lucky to be in that position. You're also lucky to be in a league that has bongo national shared revenue. You have cost containment. And I don't ask this lightly, and I'm not kidding. Is it possible, Jonathan, to lose money as the owner of an NFL team? Well, I I think it's always possible when you're running a business to do things that are inefficient, so you got to manage it. You have to manage it well. I don't want to speak for the other 31. I think we work hard at at being very focused on, on doing everything we can to keep our customers happy and driving our local revenues and managing managing uh, managing how we spend our money i i'll let somebody else talk about whether you can lose money or not we're fortunate we don't lose money at the patriots i have to ask this question how do you feel about roger goodell roger is uh in a very difficult job i think it's pretty clear that we disagree vehemently about how the air pressure situation was handled and i think Everybody in our organization has strongly voiced our position on that. And I think there's a lot more that goes into being the commissioner of the National Football League than just adjudicating that one thing. And and like with many people I work with and do things with, I don't always agree with them. But um, Roger is the commissioner of the league, and on a number of fronts, he's he's really helping the league advance our business and 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 making sure that we're at the forefront of of sports and entertainment and that's what his job is uh i will forever and i think everybody in our building uh feels very strongly that the air pressure situation wasn't handled the way we would have handled it but that's one of only a million things he has to do every day and he he's he's um He's moving the league forward very effectively with a number of the other things that he does. Roger has predicted or at least said he'd like to achieve $25, $26 billion in revenue. You're on the digital committee. That's going to go a long way toward determining whether that actually happens. Where do you see the new media? You mentioned the Amazon deal. You had Verizon. You had Twitter. Where do you see new media 
in terms of revenue generation, how far off where these companies are contributing big-time dollars to the league coffers? Well, today, social media and social backslash digital, you know, both forms, and I'm not sure there's a real distinction between them. For the league this year, when you look at platforms like what we're doing with Twitter and Amplify and um, our Facebook uh, Clips deal and obviously the Amazon Prime deal and then what individual clubs are doing with their own properties, it'll be you know nine figures of revenue for the league. So I think we're already there. I think the, the most important thing going forward in the future is to really refine each of these platforms um, as a distribution model for what they're best at, and then making sure that the revenue, the the advertising revenue that can get generated by, by each of these platforms is as relevant to the um, to the end user, the person consuming the media, as is possible. You know, traditionally on TV, whether it's a live game broadcast on linear television or if you have some type of shoulder programming you're doing as a club or a magazine program, whatever it was you did historically, you're selling 30-second spots and it's going one to many. Uh, the real future for us as we can start to develop an understanding of each fan of the National Football League on an individual basis is how we can then monetize their consumption of content in a way that's much more personal to them. So it'll be more relevant to them, you know, feeding you or or I, Scott, or Michael an ad for... Michael Geritol. Geritol for Michael. Why? Well, I don't, but, you know, some type of, the three of us are men, so some type of female product, it's, 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 it's not relevant to us, but if they know enough, you know, Scott's son is a hockey player and travels a lot, and the, the ability to, within an NFL uh, piece of content, serve up an ad like that, which otherwise they could never afford to advertise because they're hitting too many eyeballs that aren't relevant, you know, that that's that's really the future, not just for us, but for everybody with this type of content, but because our audience will hopefully be larger, you know, we'll be able to monetize it in in very meaningful ways. And I, I think that's the future. So Jonathan, let me know if I if I have this right. So we're working out the kinks with Amazon and Facebook and Twitter now. But down the road, I'll be watching a game, Mike will be watching the same game, my friends will be watching the same game, but we'll all get different ads based on what the data analytics tell those companies? I think that's definitely one of the possible outcomes. And I want to point out, we're not working out the kinks. I would just say we're experimenting. By definition, there are going to be kinks, and we know it. Um, But the idea in the long run is to make sure that everybody's experience with the NFL is as relevant to them as it possibly can be. And and that'll make the consumer happy, and if done properly, should also be good for the National Football League from a revenue standpoint. We're talking with the president of the New England Patriots, Jonathan Kraft. You are the son of probably one of the most well-known owners in the National Football League, Robert Kraft. Tell us what's that, what that is like. You're, you're the son of Robert Kraft. Can you, can you take us through that? He's been my father for my whole life, and 
along with my wife. He's my best friend, and we do a lot more than just the Patriots, so I'm lucky. When I get out of uh, out of college, I worked at a place called Bain, and, and uh, after Bain, I went to business school, and uh, I joined my dad, and we weren't in the football business yet. We're still in paper and packaging as a our our core foundation business for our family and we each spend a lot of time in that together we spend a lot of time in our real estate businesses and our investment businesses together as well as sports so i don't think of him in in that role of you know the patriots he was a great dad growing up and he's been as i said my best friend along with my wife patty did he make you start at the bottom? I'm just curious. I remember talking to Joe Maloof years and years ago. His dad used to own the Houston Rockets. He made him sweep the floor. He made him drive the truck so he would know the business from the bottom up. Well, as a kid, once I could uh, drive, I we had some factories near where we lived, and I'd always, in the summers, I, the, the way the 7 to 3 shift worked is overtime started, at, which in the summers were always busy at 5 a.m., so I used to I used to get out of bed about 3:45 in the morning and do that and then my first two summers of college uh, a business partner of ours had a paper mill down in South Carolina and I used to work the overnight shift which was 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. and lived in a Holiday Inn and he'd lose about 10 pounds of water weight in South Carolina in the summers at the back end of a hot paper mill but. Um, it was great. I love manufacturing, and I think the manufacturing business, which I still probably spend the majority of my time at, actually, that's where I spend the majority of my time, um, you get great lessons when you're in a commodity manufacturing business. You get great perspective on how lucky you are to be in the sports business where it's not a commodity. and. You you have the ability to be creative around your product and take customer service lessons from a commodity business where it's just critical. If you don't have it, you die and bring it to bear in sports. And so I, it's been a great life lesson. Speaking of being in the sports business, the craft group, they also have the New England Revolution in the Major League Soccer, a Major League Soccer team. What is it like and what do you see the future that uh, holds for soccer. Well, Emma, we were one of the founders of the league, and um, so we've seen it come a long way. I actually currently chair the expansion committee for MLS, and uh, I can tell you we've never been in such a strong, such a strong position. Uh, we're we're going to be taking four new teams into the league over the next couple of years, which will bring us up to 28 teams. I'm extremely bullish on Major League Soccer, uh, and I, it's, uh, I think you're going to wake up in another decade, and, and MLS is going to very much be at the forefront of the consciousness of, of all sports fans in this country, not just the people that are passionate about soccer. Jonathan Kraft, president of the New England Patriots, thank you so much for joining us. and. Uh, I hope uh, that you have a, a pleasurable season. It looks like you guys look strong. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. Takeaways from Jonathan Kraft. I like the way he delicately talked about Roger Goodell. Yes, he's still upset about how the whole deflate gate controversy was handled. But as for the Patriots, hey, they won the Super Bowl and they're moving on. Yeah, let's see. I mean, Roger's up for a new contract. Is Jerry Jones happy with the handling of Ezekiel Elliott? You know, you don't want to alienate the Crafts, the Joneses. These are some popular, powerful owners in the NFL. 
But for me, it was about the digital strategy of the NFL because we're hearing so much about, oh, ratings are down a little bit from last year. There's too much football on TV. Jonathan so eloquently described a situation where you, where me, where he, where our friends will be watching the same game on different devices and we'll all see different ads based on what the data is telling the advertisers. That is a goldmine for anybody. Sports league, entertainment, doesn't matter. That can aggregate eyeballs. And right now, say what you will about falling ratings, they still attract more eyeballs than anything else. Going to be massively interesting to see how they monetize those eyeballs down the line. It means I'm going to see ads about pool cues and Geritol, baby. Geritol, Ovaltine, and Cialis from Michael Barr. <laughs> I mean, they're on the NFL broadcast anyway. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. The number of the week, 5,693. Why? Courtesy of producer Rich Truman. I didn't even realize this number was coming, but the number of home runs, the record home runs in a season, Major League Baseball back in 2000, the height of the steroid era, and it's going to be eclipsed now? Interesting. Why, Michael Barr? Well, because they have last time this happened in 2000s when they knocked all these home runs, and now it's happening without, quote-unquote, steroids, as some critics would say. And but it's good for business, too, because you get a lot of home runs. People love the long ball, and people love to see it. People will tune in. People will come to the ballpark to see a, a home run ball hit the big green monster or hit the stands, whatever. I will tell you, I go everything through the eyes of my 8-year-old. And after Aaron Judge in the home run derby, he was running around for weeks pretending to be Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton, who he had never heard of, before that home run derby. It makes stars. It's what the young folks want to see. It's the most exciting thing in baseball. Good for the game for sure. I remember my oldest son back in the day when Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were going at it, and he got into it big time watching baseball. Remember they had live look-ins? Yeah. At each of their at-bats, they had live look-ins. It was a really, really fun time for baseball. I need to bring that back. What, live look-ins? Yeah. Well, let's see if somebody's worthy of it. Like Bryce Harper, I'd like to see his every at-bat. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week when we continue our conversations with the most powerful people in sports business. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio, around the world, and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. 
Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.